Hello and welcome back to Blacklisted, the podcast. We just need to say we are so sorry that it's been so long since we have recorded an episode. We've actually had some things recorded, but it's just been so long now. We're not sure if it would be worth editing and posting, but just know we have missed all of our listeners so much and we're really happy to start recording again. We know we're trash (laughs) and that we abandon you. But we're back now, and we're going to help you get reintegrated into Blacklisted and some of the stuff we talk about. But I think it's better if we start with a a short recap of where we've been. That was a beautiful intro. You think so? Yes. I know. Can you guys tell that I'm so sorry? (laughs) We're very, very sorry. Um, But yeah, as Serena said, last semester was hectic, and um, it was just very kind of... I was overstretched mm-hmm. I'm still overstretched mm-hmm. but like you know this was a space like we created for a, a particular purpose mm-hmm. and that was to kind of let down our guards and be open and be comfortable mm-hmm. to talk about what we're experiencing and so like yeah last semester I didn't take that many classes while I was involved in clinics and I did a lot of traveling and I think just a lot of the organizational stuff and commitments mm-hmm. ramped up and I found myself in meetings almost every time I was on campus, mm-hmm. um, and it was just difficult because it was just a different type of law school experience, very, very different from 1L when I was kind of in classes in the library at the time. This time I was like meeting with administration and staff and meeting with other students about how to kind of produce things on campus for students and how to make the law school a better place for all mm-hmm. and then blacklisted kind of fell by the wayside mm-hmm. but we're back um and this you know tool has been like i think pretty good for the most part mm-hmm. this this semester has been a lot better than last semester for me because i think it just takes time to like learn yeah. and see what works and what is what doesn't and i found that to be the case in one l two the first semester was a lot worse than the second mm-hmm. um but we're back how was your well, what was your highlight before we move on to me? Like, what was your highlight from last semester? My highlight from last semester, honestly, was probably this class I took. Um, it was a seminar class with the Jurisprudence and Social Policy School, which is essentially the school at Berkeley Law. We have like a school that's connected to us that's for PhD students mm-hmm. who want to kind of explore social sciences and the law. And I took a class there that counts as a law school credit. It was the Law, Political Theory, and Philosophy course, Mm -hmm. a seminar taught by brilliant professor Joshua Cohen and Professor Sarah Snow. And I wrote a paper on Queen Slim, which we'll talk about later. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was really cool and it was a highlight because I kind of finally got to sit down. I I was able to sit down and do what I did in undergrad, Mm -hmm. which was critique um, and commentate on things that I thought were important to me as opposed to like, centuries old case law that I really don't yeah. care about. Mm-hmm. That's know. designed to subjugate you <laughs> as a human being. Yeah. That part. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's a good recap. I think my last semester was really, really busy too. And it was just, I think, incredibly stressful in like my personal life and like there was stuff going on. Like I learned a lot of new things about myself and about my family. Um, you know, like heavy things happen that's the thing like I think law school likes to pretend that you can just put the rest of your life on hold while you're going through these three years and like 
nothing else will happen. Like you're so insulated in whatever building you're in and you're just so focused on learning and they're like, we're really just here to break you down and build you up even though they never really build you up. But then like, you know, people are dying. People like, you know, are struggling in your family and it's hard because you can't be in two places at once. You kind of have to pick, like pick and choose where you can give yourself. So that was like an interesting learning process. Um, but you know, it hard times come and go. And there's been a lot of good times too. Um, one of the highlights for me last semester was taking a class called Reproductive Rights and Justice with Professor Kiara Bridges, who is one of the smartest people and smartest scholars that I've ever, ever met. Um, and being in her class was really, really interesting because the group was really cool and it was a small course. And she's like so smart. Like reproductive justice, like she was like her intervention into like traditional like reproductive rights frameworks, like centering the experience of like black and indigent women. Um, it's just been so fascinating to like learn under her and she let our class work on an amicus brief she was writing for the Supreme Court and do medical services. So like watching her process of like developing this outline in a very short timeline and then allowing me and other students like participate in writing that and like something that's gonna be it was just so cool because we were like directly responding to Clarence Thomas's dissent in big reproductive rights cases where he's like, you know, abortion is black genocide and really kind of um, undermining the agency of like black women in this system that we live in. And her like framing of like reproductive justice is racial justice and here's what the experience is like for black women. Like when do we ever get to center ourselves in the law? So it was just such a refreshing experience to get to work under her and it was just very enriching academically as well. So I really liked that moment, but it was just a moment in a super long, hard semester. And I'm really happy to be back on Blacklisted because like Justin said, like this space is so needed, I think, and it feels really refreshing to just get to talk about whatever we want and like create the content that we wanted to see. Um, it's kind of like therapeutic in a way too that we can just like talk about what we're going through and hopefully I don't know like speak to the experiences that other black students or students of color may have and help out future law students on their journey that feels really good to be back in this space So now that we've recapped last semester, we're going to bring it back to this semester mm -hmm. and kind of catch up on what we're doing now. So I guess I'll start first. Um, this semester, I am enrolled in four classes. Um, I'm enrolled in the Constitution and Capital Punishment, Administrative Law, Evidence, and Professional Legal Responsibility. And I'm also taking a two-credit course with a professor an independent research project and it's going to be essentially me writing a 30-page paper it's one of the course requirements here at Berkeley um, with a professor that I enjoyed and that I um, learned from one L year I'm still exploring different topics um, that I want to write about but it's off to a great start and on top of academic amendments um, this semester I'm working and I'm also just continuing my commitments of um, Student Association of Berkeley Law Co-President, um, along with a few other things, um, but really, really trying to make the podcast one of those priorities this semester, because I really owe it to you guys, because you all have been very loyal, very active on our social media platform, 
shameless plug at Blacklist the Podcast on IG. Mm-hmm. But you guys have been very active, so we owe it to you guys to at least produce, you know, something. So um, those are my commitments this semester. What about you, Serena? I am also doing the most. I am still co-president of the Black Law Students chapter here, co-editor-in-chief of the Black Law Journal, which at Berkeley is called the Berkeley Journal of African American Law and Policy. And we are hosting a symposium this year, so I've been doing a lot of work to like help the team that's working on the symposium, um, like get professors to commit. Um, we've been meeting with the dean, and he's going to come to our symposium. Um, outreach to practitioners and like planning that whole event has been a lot of work. Um, shout out to my team who worked on it. Like you guys are doing amazing. Um, still also involved in the Women of Color Collective. We're also doing a show this semester. One of my good friends um, is planning that, and that's coming up. As far as classes, I am in international human rights law. I'm in advanced legal writing. I am in critical theories of legal education. I'm also doing the international law clinic at Berkeley, which is so much work. And it's been taking a lot of time, but also like Justin said, I want the podcast to be in the mix as well because we really enjoy recording. Um, So hopefully we can keep that going. And we wanted to start off now that we've kind of done our introductions, our recap of where we've been, um, introducing like what we're doing right now, because we're in the second semester of our 2L year, we want to pick it off with Rosebud and Thorn, which y'all are familiar with. So Justin, you can go first. Cool. I'm still thinking about mine. Okay, so I'll start with my Rose. I think this semester, maybe a little bit at the end of, towards the end of last semester, I'm really beginning to enjoy living in the Bay. So it's taken about a year and a half, but I think I'm like starting to find like my different enclaves and like places I like that pique my interest. And so there are a few bars in Oakland that I frequent with my roommates um, and other friends. Um, plug out, plug or shout out to the, um, I'm plugging and shouting out, shouting out the Red Bar in Oakland, or the Ruby Room in Oakland. Um, it's a really cool bar with like neo soul music and like, alt R&B and like the entire bar is lit with like red lights it's like really cool they have really good music um and also like visiting SF and like going to the museums and like Dolores Park um it's probably just my girlfriend getting me out the house now (laughs) which is like really cool too but like I'm really enjoying the bay so um I won't be coming here or staying here after graduation so I think it's just good for me to enjoy it while I'm here at least Mm -hmm. um that's my rose my thorn I think it's just like once again, balancing all of these different things going on. So, mm-hmm. like professors during my during this two year are not, um, you know, holding back on the readings. Like there's still a lot of readings. <laughs> so we have like biggest myth of law school that it gets better after the yeah. first year. Like no, it's just if not more the same amount of readings that you have one L year on top of other responsibilities. So mm-hmm. just kind of finding that balance and also trying to like you know get a bag and like work too mm-hmm. it's a lot so just finding that balance I think that's one of my thorns right now but there's always room for growth and I'm learning and then a bud I'm definitely looking forward to our admitted students weekend here at Berkeley which is going to be from March 12th to March 14th um, we're going to have students who have been admitted to Berkeley Law for the 2020-2021 wow we're three else yeah 2020-2021 <laughs> academic school year we're going to come in as one else they're going to come to berkeley and visit us and hopefully we can sell 
Berkeley to them and get them to come and bring their tuition dollars. <laughs> um, but no, I'm really looking forward to that because a lot of my friends who I did some pre-law programs with have been accepted and admitted into Berkeley. And I'm looking forward to seeing them and kind of, you know, doing the LaSalle, the Law Students of African Descent um, Gala and just kind of seeing all of that black excellence, pre-legal excellence in one room. It's such a beautiful thing. So looking forward to that and also looking forward to spring break. Um, and this year I'm going to Costa Rica. And I've never been to Costa Rica, never been to Central America. So looking forward to that. Are you going by yourself or are you going with a group? I'm going with my girlfriend. Oh, fun. <laughs> uh, yeah. She really does get you out of the house more. I'm getting her out of the country. This is her first time out of the country, so. Oh my gosh. Yeah, she's super stoked. Shout out to you. You know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> I won't say names because that's your business. <laughs> um, my thorn is just my schedule. I have an insane amount going on this semester, and it is really hard to manage. Um, just like deadlines that I get at 11 p.m. that are due the next day, you know? It's... Is that from your, is that from your clinic? Sometimes from clinics, sometimes from other stuff, but it has just been... <laughs> it's been really interesting figuring out how to manage that on top of all the other stuff I have going on. Um, yeah, so law school is not always forgiving to human beings. Yeah. So... There's that. <laughs> I'll tell you all about that at a minute students weekend, but I'll tell you the truth, you know? Um, my rose, I have a couple roses. So there's like two things. Like one is just like personally, I, I feel very in tune with myself lately. Like um, I've talked about this a little bit before, like you guys already know, like I love reading, I love writing and I've been writing so much. Like I've written every single day since August 1st of 2019. Like I always like wrote sporadically in between that, but every single day I've been writing so much and I've been painting more lately. Like like the past like two months, I've like really gotten back into it and it feels like so good to just have that creative outlet again because I think that was so necessary, especially like given the really hard um, last two semesters that I've had, like this one and last one. It's just felt really like good to like be re-inspired again. So That's I'm cool. loving that. My other rose is that I went to dinner with one of my three L friends last week, and he is just really the best. And it was also really refreshing to talk to him and like sit down together. And like we're gonna be going to the same firm, so like having a conversation about like our lives and our perspective on like the type of work we'll be doing. It was just so nice, and he's hilarious. So that was really fun. And then my bud that I'm looking forward to is I'm also going on a spring break trip Let's go. that I just planned. I'm going to Japan. <laughs> what? And, yeah. <laughs> so I'm flying by myself, but I'm going to be meeting one of my really close friends, Sierra. Shout out to you over there. Um, and I'm really excited because we're going to just like do all the stuff we can. Like we're going for a week. She lives there right now, so uh, she's kind of used to it. So I have a place to stay. <laughs> Here <it is>. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm really excited to see her because I think she moved in 2019 and I don't know, we had been spending so much time together that it was hard to say goodbye, so I'm happy that I'm going to get to see her again because I love her so much. That's really cool. And yeah, and I think it's, I mean, it's a huge move to like, you know, move to a whole new country that you've never been to before, so I'm really excited to see like what her life is like over there and explore together.
into a law school related topic we first wanted to start with what's trending in 2020 what's going on in the world right now what's on the public's mind by the public i mean twitter <laughs> so we just wanted to kind of what's going on right now what are the big topics we can talk about yeah so what it looks like on my to or timeline is that was specifically for our parents to understand yeah, sorry <laughs> everyone else you know to means but Dwayne Wade and his daughter we have a lot of people um, that I see who I've been like unfollowing, who have kind of spewed a lot of transphobic rhetoric um, and hate towards Dwayne Wade's um, now daughter, and her name is her name Zaya. Zaya. Mm-hmm. Um, Dwayne's daughter is 12 years old and I think recently um, has publicly came out as trans mm-hmm. and the internet is kind of an uproar and. And for me, I don't really follow that many like white people, and I don't. I feel like a lot of times we see like the black community, the black community pathologized as like a, a anti-LGBTQ AI plus community. Mm-hmm. When I think that those type of views are spread across different races, um, and different ethnic groups, but from what I can see, a lot of black people are kind of spewing this hatred um, and rhetoric, and that's because I mostly follow. Black and brown people, um, and so yeah, just I mean, it's 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 pretty much what social media is talking about. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about it, sir? Um, I am disgusted. Yeah. At the reaction to this, first that people think it's their business to comment on this little girl and her life. Second, that they think they can tell parents who are actively supporting and loving their child that they're doing something wrong by actively loving and supporting your child. Talk about a hot take that you shouldn't support and love your child. I feel like that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Um, And just knowing how dangerous the world can be to black and brown trans people and how incredibly targeted they are, it really disgusts me deeply that there's been such a public um, and widespread backlash to this person, this little girl owning who she is and like being brave enough to say that it really deeply um, frustrates me, but I support her unconditionally, just like her parents and her family, as they should. I've also seen an interesting conversation about, um, like people are like, why are we praising Gabby Union and Dwayne Wade for supporting their child? Like that should be the bare minimum. And I found an interesting response that I tend to agree with is that like, yeah, that should be the bare minimum. Oh, the bar is so low. But the point is that we've seen the public response. We know that a lot of especially trans kids are not getting support from their parents. So they're actually setting the bar very high by using their platform to say, we love our trans daughter. This is who she is and we support her. Because a lot of LGBTQ individuals are not supported by their family and do face violence even in their own insular families. So I understand that like, you know, like of course they should support their child, but that's not the reality for a lot of people. So I do think it is still really great that they're giving her the space to own who she is. At such a young age. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because some people have to leave their home before they can really be who they want to be. Right. And you talk about like, yeah, Garbagin and Dwayne Wade who have this like significant class privilege. But I think about all the poor trans kids who are now given some sort of visibility Mm -hmm. and hopefully their parents can like say, okay, well, they're setting an example. Yeah. I can love my trans child the same way. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like you said, the bar is very low, but this is also something that <laughs> yeah. is not really given a lot of visibility. 
if the bar is so low, like people need to start asking themselves why it's so low. Right. And it's right. because of their own behavior and their, you know, own reactions when stuff like this happens. Right. I think there's more everybody could do. And don't, and, and it also makes me really mad because people talk about like, you know, having children and you like shouldn't be producing children if you want to decide what your child will be like and who you want them to love and how you want them to be. Mm-hmm. You know, like just love your child irrespective of these different mark this difference markers that like we try to subscribe and ascribe to certain people and like regardless of religious beliefs what they're doing is loving their child and i think that's a beautiful thing mm-hmm. yeah yeah don't weaponize a religion either yeah weirdos yeah and all you guys in the bible belt can just <laughs> buy and that's to my people who listen back home like love your child mm-hmm. support your child and we stand with you in solidarity is all out and mm-hmm. Yeah, you and Dwayne as well. Shout yeah. out to y'all. Keeping unapologetic, you know. For doing the work, yeah. It's really dope. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of basketball players, um, we are still mourning the tragic death of Kobe Bryant um, and the other eight victims who were on the, was it a helicopter? Mm-hmm. The helicopter in that Los crashed. Angeles, yeah, yeah, Los Angeles that crashed. Um, I think on January 26th, if I'm not mistaken, his daughter was also one of the victims of that tragedy. Um, Yeah, that was like, where were you? Where were you when you found out that he passed? I was in my apartment. Yeah. Um, And it's interesting, like, I've been talking with people, like, outside of, like, our conversation right now about what it felt like, and I think it's been really interesting to like explore the difference between like personal grief and like community grief Mm -hmm. like I felt impacted because I saw that the impact it had on a community of people Mm -hmm. not necessarily that I had like this intense personal relationship with this person because I'll be honest like obviously I knew who Kobe Bryant was like he was such a big like pop culture figure like growing up for us and for like the generation like before us like everybody knew who he was yeah but I didn't follow him or his career after basketball ended for him. I didn't follow his family, you know. But it was still very shocking news. So I think just dealing with the shock of a sudden death, everybody can kind of, like, process that in their own way and still feel grief. And it does, and it's not fake, you know. But I think I was trying to be intentional about, like, public displays of grief and, like, what that would mean because... I didn't feel a close connection to this person as I do to, like, some other celebrities necessarily who I think have a bigger impact on my life. But I did feel really strongly about it just because I saw, like, the effect that it had on others that I felt close to and how hard it was for them. So I did feel that grief, but kind of in a um, removed way, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was at work when I found out, and all of the, like, white employees came up to me and they were like, Justin, did you hear about Kobe Bryant? And I was like... Yes, I did. Um, so that was weird being at, kind of stuck at work and not having like the space to actually breathe. I think I went in the back and like had a moment. Yeah. Because it was just like for me growing up, I played basketball with my mom, mm-hmm. the college basketball player, my brother, the basketball player, my stepdad's the basketball player. And so Kobe in our household was somebody who like was just an expert of the game and his basketball IQ was unmatched. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was kind of somebody that I looked up to had so many Kobe jerseys growing up so many Kobe shoes and it was just like he was kind of immortal to me and so for him to kind of go out in that way it was just like 
very humbling and I was just I became very appreciative of life and realizing that like you know regardless of what I, I, got, I have going on in my life regardless of all the things that I find to be like burdensome and heavy responsibilities I do have life and it can be really taken from you in the blink of an eye like it was for them um and so yeah like you said it was just a public kind of display of grief mm-hmm. from I think particularly our community but his impact was felt across the world mm-hmm. um and you know some of the he did receive a little backlash afterwards so like we have a lot of commentators and journalists um who have explored the range of Kobe Bryant's legacy and Yale King was one of them in an interview with um Lisa Leslie one of Kobe's longtime friends she's a WNBA player for the Los Angeles Sparks um Gail King made some remarks or questions she asked some questions or prompted questions um about Kobe's rape charge, which was in the early 2000s, um, and had a conversation with Lisa Leslie, and the news station um, kind of took that clip and posted it online, and she received a lot of backlash on mm-hmm. social media for kind of bringing it up and servicing some of those um, moments in Kobe's life. Mm-hmm. Um, and she received a lot of backlash, too, yeah. for that. And so... One of them, one of the worst, I think, most obscene comments was from Snoop Dogg, who has now issued an apology towards her. Um, but, like, how do you feel about that? Um, hmm. I think it's so complicated. Yeah. I think people were mostly worried about the timing, like, oh, like, it wasn't the right time, like, it's so soon, like, it wasn't the right time. But I also am concerned that, like, when is the time for survivors to, like, have their space and, like, state their truth as well yeah um i think it was very sensitive because it was a sudden death and it shocked a lot of people so i think it was even like more exacerbated just like the sensitivity um but i think like hard conversations tend to get pushed off and then never brought up again because it's just no longer relevant after the dust settles yep so i think i can see both sides in that way i'm not really sure where i come out on it but i definitely would never want to be in the position of trying to silence survivors who are maybe re-traumatized by certain figures or certain stories um i wouldn't want to silence their ability to state their truth but i do understand like it's hard when you are a public figure and like your family needs space to grieve or like people are very upset like i don't think there's an easy answer to it yeah or that i could <laughs> definitively say what the right answer is um so I'm, yeah i just want to hear your thoughts because like mm-hmm. for me one thing is bill cosby Somebody can take your phone because you should not be on the There were flies to that cleat. Cat Black Twitter going for days. Bill Cosby, y'all. So Bill Cosby, for those of you who do not know, Bill Cosby tweeted something in regards to how, like, Stu Dog said that Gail King mm-hmm. was attacking us and the us, I think he meant, was black men. Mm-hmm. And, like, the yeah, black Twitter's response was hilarious. <laughs> but one, like, Bill Cosby, this is situation... Bill Cosby said me and Snoop were on the same side, and Snoop said, I apologize. Yeah, so, <laughs> Bill Cosby, stay where you at. You know, stay where you at. <laughs> said they have phones in jail. People were... And I'm not going to you know, say that, like, I want you to be in prison because no. prison abolition is here all day, but mm-hmm. let that phone go. <laughs> um, and also, I think, yeah, Snoop Dogg's comments were just, like, misogynistic, horrible. Um, he even kind of, like, ended with a threat, I think, to Gail, who... 
Oprah's came out and said she can't sleep. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you can't sleep with all that money? <laughs> I'll be able to sleep regardless. <laughs> like, Oprah, send me $100. I can go straight to sleep. But, no, so, yeah, so, you know, I, I come out on, like, the side where, like, like you said, we need to hear survivor stories. I think it was a little sensitive initially because the family's grieving, but also, like, his wife knew about that case. Mm-hmm. His family knew about that case. And when you die, I think people are going to be critical of the things you do on this earth. And so mm-hmm. you need to leave a good impact. And when I die, I want people to be able to say, you know, Justin was this, Justin was that, and critique yeah. my legacy. You know, we're not all, like, perfect human beings. Yeah. And so, and something as, you know, egregious as that needs yeah. to be discussed. I think it is a really hard conversation, mostly because of the timing, but yeah. you're right, like... I don't see that type of deference, though, given to just the average person off the street. Like, if they went through the same thing, the same allegations, like, would we, you know? Yeah. Like, people call for death for that sort of thing, like, which I'm not saying that's right either, but... Yeah. And if, like, if and if Donald Trump was to die tomorrow, people would not, you know, be like, mm-hmm. oh, he wasn't a racist. Yeah. He was a racist regardless. Mm-hmm. They yeah, wouldn't be like, like, oh, it's not the right time to talk about Stormy. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like, come on. So... <laughs> That was the complex, I guess, complex and complicated yeah. answer to that. What's going on there? Yeah. But we hear debates from all sides, and so yeah. I mean, we kind of do, but like. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we hear. Yeah, we hear. We don't agree. Sorry. Care <laughs> about that. Um. Yeah, and I think I don't know. We need to move on to something a little bit lighter. Yeah, a little <laughs> bit lighter, because I think it's just too much to unpack in a single podcast about everything that went into that situation let us know your thoughts yeah and if you are still grieving you know take the space that you need that's okay too um but we want to talk about the oscars i didn't watch them i got the tweet highlights later just because i wasn't gonna watch a three-hour award show i think they're really boring i know some some people probably love them but it's not my not my thing but i was really excited about um some of the movies that i saw in 2019 and wanted to talk about those because I saw some good ones. I didn't see everything that was there, but I saw Knives Out, which is really, really good. I saw Just Mercy, which is a movie that Michael B. Jordan starred in. Um, <laughs> we love him on this podcast, right? Um. <laughs> anyway, we love Michael <laughs> B. Jordan on this podcast. Um, and it's based on the career of Brian Stevenson, who is a lawyer who... Um, works in death penalty cases and he's kind of kickstarted his career working in the south in a very rural area um obviously a lot of his clients were black and it's kind of the story of one of his clients who was wrongly convicted on very 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 little evidence and a lot of it was fabricated and the story of like what that was like and the challenges he faced to um try to get justice for this person i thought that was a really great movie too we went to see it with a group of law students um I think one of, like, the production companies, like, reached out and, like, wanted to do, like, promotional tours to different, like, relevant student groups, and, like, they targeted law students, like, come watch this movie and talk about it, so we did that, and it was really awesome. Highly recommend for people who want to be lawyers or or who are particularly moved by criminal justice reform um, and maybe want to explore what a career in that looks like, definitely pick up Brian Stevenson's book, also called Just Mercy. It's great. One of my favorite movies was Parasite. It was great. I didn't know anything about it before I went into it. You haven't seen it, huh? No, I haven't. I heard it was oh my great, God. Though. Like, class commentary or something? Like yeah. Class war or something? Yeah, definitely a class coming. commentary. Like, a condemnation, I think, of yeah. capitalism. And 
the whole cast was just so so good um I was talking about this with some of our friends and like I think it Parasite won four awards which it really deserved it was a great movie and the director was great I think his name's Bong Joon-ho um and I, one of the things I loved that the director said was that they didn't realize when they were making it that this would be a story that related to so many people around the world. They thought it was just going to be like a commentary on like Korean society wow. and South Korea specifically. But what they realized in the response to the film was that like we're all like in solidarity on the same oppressive structure, which is wow. capitalism and like capitalism and how it destroys a lot of us. So we can like find that connection in each other. And he didn't expect it to resonate so deeply, but then it kind of opened his eyes in a sense. Wow. Which like what we're all going through. Which I'm like, <laughs> yes. Capitalism is global. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, because the movie's based in South Korea, like a South Korean cast, and like, <laughs> I don't speak their language. Like, I've never been to South Korea, but I related so much to some of the stuff that they talked about in the movie. So I definitely see where he got So the movie wasn't in English? No. Oh, wow. There's cool. subtitles in English. Yeah, yeah, subtitles. Um, but yeah, you're speaking Korean. Really cool. It was a really great movie. Y'all gotta see it and don't look up anything about it okay. before you go. Just like walk in. I didn't even know. Is it still there? Yeah, it's okay, still, still there. Cool. I didn't even know that there was gonna be subtitles when I went. I really knew nothing about it. Cool. I just went in and it was really, really good. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite, or not one of my favorite movies, but one of the movies that I think I was able to comment on a lot last year um, was Queen and Slim. Mm-hmm. And did you see it too? No. What? No. You didn't see Queen of I wanted to, but then I started... See, I looked up stuff before I went to go see okay. it. So then I'm like, I needed to give it time since I read those reviews. Did to you like, see... Did you like what you saw in the reviews or... I mean, I love critiques. So yes, okay. I loved it, but they were also like pretty critical of the yeah. movie. And so I'm, I'm like, I needed space from reading that yeah. until I saw it for myself. Yeah. So I saw it twice. Mm-hmm. I saw it once uh, when I went back home. Thanksgiving, and then I went back to see it again because after seeing it for seeing it one time, I loved it, mm-hmm. and then I kind of started problematizing some of it, and then I went back, and that's what I wrote my seminar paper on for my class last semester, mm-hmm. and you know some of the things that I like talked about in my paper that I think the film um, had in it was like benevolent state officials or this idea of a benevolent kind of authority state, authoritative state, who had a monopoly on violence, which was against black bodies. Um, so this idea that state officials were helping these kind of like black fugitives make it through this kind of reverse escape down south towards quote unquote liberation and freedom. Um, also discussed like how um, Lena Waite, who is a, who was the director of the film, um, she went in, she went into a lot of interviews discussing how she wanted to play with different themes. And so she played with a few themes and some of the themes I thought it was too risky to play with in a in a post Black Lives Matter moment where we're still kind of grappling with um, police brutality and state sanctioned violence against black persons. But like a scene where she has like this black kid murdering a black cop, like, you know, those type of moments that I think leaves your viewers kind of open to like critiquing the Black Lives Matter movement in a way that I don't think it's justifiable. Um, and so my paper kind of just exposes different things. And it's kind of like a film critique. Um, but the movie overall, like it had, you know, dark skin representation on screen, which is a problem that Hollywood has. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of does deal with this moment, I think, in a way that is is beautiful. And it's beautifully shot as well. Um, 
but it does also have its faults. So, yeah, that was my favorite movie of 2019. And hopefully there are a lot, you know, more movies this year. Mm-hmm. And Do we know, like, are there any, like, black films coming out this year that we're excited about? Um, well, I just saw the photograph. I didn't like it that much. <laughs> uh, Insecure is coming back, though. Okay. This year. That'd be good. I'm really excited about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't heard anything positive about the photograph yet. Yeah, it's not. But you know, it's okay. There can be mediocre black rom-coms, you know? Yeah. That's fine. Yeah, that's fine, because we have a lot of white mediocre Right, like there's like 3,000 movies with Catherine Michael. It's like the same plot, you know? Like a different white man as her co-star. That gets into the whole, like, we don't don't have to always be excellent. Yeah, you're right. There can just be regular movies. Yeah. Like Us was a regular movie. Very regular. Compared to Get Out. <laughs> Compared to Get Out, yeah. <laughs> oh, what about Tyler Perry's little Netflix film? What was it called? Oh, Stop. I forgot the name of it. But you and your budget need to hire black screenwriters <laughs> and black people to review your stuff because that was trash. And you, you had screenshots that you wanted to put on screen as messages. And we saw the screenshot. So that is not good. So Tyler Perry, let's go back to the writing board. Oh my God, we got to move on. <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs> So in this final segment, um, before we wrap it up, we just want to discuss kind of what we're doing in law school right now and what we're looking forward to, and just give some advice to 1Ls, 2Ls, um, and even incoming law students who, I know I didn't know anything about this subject that I'm about to discuss or we're about to discuss, um, so let's just explore it together. And so this topic is going to be about clerkships, and a clerkship is essentially a year-long or two-year-long um, internship or yeah internship with a judge and so they have um, clerkships at district courts federal district courts um, appellate courts federal appellate courts um, supreme courts state courts and essentially what you do is you work with the judge for um, a set amount of time and you go to court with the judge and if you're in appellate court you would like review documents from the trial court and essentially you you get to write opinions so the judge will kind of hear both sides um, prosecution and defense and they will go to their chambers Um, if it's a criminal court they'll I mean yeah criminal court or criminal case they'll sit with you and ask you kind of what do you think and they'll use you essentially in your like law school knowledge and your kind of knowledge on the current issues to explore which side they should go on and you essentially like write opinions and you get to impact actual like case law, which is super, super cool. And the reason we're bringing this up now in our two years is because you apply to clerkships after the summer after your two year. And so I'm looking forward to hopefully doing a clerkship, fingers crossed. Um, I think Serena, are you looking to do a clerkship? I am. Yeah. For me, and like, yeah, and clerkships, it is really like an opportunity to like really do a ton of research and a ton of writing is what you're doing like whatever issues come up like some judges like especially for the trial court like they could have a case with them for months at a time and there's different like hearings um, and different like times that the attorneys come in um, 
So if they're talking about a particular issue or they like, have a motion coming up that day, like the judge may need you to research a particular issue to see like how they'll come out on it. Um, so that's part of what clerking is as well. I do want to clerk. I haven't decided if it's going to be right after law school or if I'll work for a couple years first. I'm still figuring that out. And what um, are the benefits? I should have said this earlier, but like, what are the pros and cons if you can like talk about? Yeah, um, I think one of the pros for waiting is that that's kind of how it's trending. You do get a high volume of work when you're a clerk right away. Yeah. You're really thrown into the deep end because there's not a, like because it is typically one to two years, there's not a huge overlap between clerks. So you're moving into the spot that somebody's just vacating. Um, so you don't have a long like grace period of like, I'm just learning. You kind of do get assignments immediately. Um, so if you've worked before for maybe one, two years in like a legal context, you might be better prepared to come into that and you might look more competitive when you're applying if you've had that experience. Um, if you like, then you know, have an opportunity to be trained somewhere else and to like develop your writing skills. But some people don't prefer that option. They want to like start clerking right away, yeah. um, right after law school, which could make you competitive for other jobs that you're trying to apply to. Um, so if you're not really sure what you want to do right after, like you can clerk for a year or two and decide if you want to transition to another place. Clerking could be a good opportunity for that. And some people prefer getting thrown into the deep end to learn, you know, so clerking could also build your skills in a different way. It depends on what you're comfortable with and what your kind of plan is, um, you know, what your family situation is. That might affect your decision if you're going to wait or not. One of my mentors was saying <laughs> she wanted to clerk, but she had a mortgage and two kids, so she's like, I can't do that right now. She had to wait, and she opted to go to a firm, which worked for her. But everybody's different in what their preference is. I'm still figuring it out because there's so much unknown. You know, yeah. we're just kind of getting introduced to this topic yeah. at our second semester in 2L. So we're all trying to, like, figure it out right now. Yeah, which is one of the things about law school is that, like, you just keep learning about things you don't know yeah. that you thought you knew and it's like always something new on the horizon so mm-hmm. like for me I think I think I want to so I want to I think I want to clerk back home in Mississippi um, and I think I think for right now I want to do it after graduation mm-hmm. um, and that's because so for me I I need like a little and it's not a break clerkship is definitely not a break mm-hmm. but I do know that like the work in a big law context is a lot and Though Big Law like give me the training that I need, I think that this judge that I'm hoping to get a clerkship with will also really take his time and like help me become a better researcher. And I think that I'll do it will help me like in tremendous ways in terms of being a better lawyer and attorney and kind of seeing that type of like perspective. Cause I've never I did do an internship with the judge, but like that's been a while. And so I think now having like the law school experience, um, and after having a JD and like being able to witness like what a trial is like and kind of knowing actually what's going on now yeah. to some extent will help me become a better attorney and so um you know i want to go back home and like hopefully clerk with um this judge that i'm now looking at and um and kind of like because i'm going to new york after graduation so i kind of want to like slow it down a little bit and so going back home kind of be a little slower and kind of like allow me to like reflect on like you know where I am what I want to do because I think for a lot of the past like five years I've just been kind of jumping into things mm-hmm. and I think clerkship kind of is a, a it's, it's, an, it's a time for you to reset so one of the benefits of a clerkship also is that if you do a clerkship you can kind of like reset kind of what you want to do so after you 
become a clerk, I've been told that you kind of, if you want to go into like public interest, you want to go into big law, if you want to go to academia, like these, that's a way for you to kind of like change your career trajectory. And so I think that that would be a great thing for me as well to kind of just like reset and refocus and kind of get that really, really good experience. Yeah. If you do, you as in you out there listening to this, want to clerk, I think something that you can try out before you make that decision is extern for a judge. Um, Any judge. I externed at a state court. and it was such a good experience and it really opened my eyes to like what working for a judge looks like and like what type of questions they ask, what a trial looks like, because you will maybe never get the opportunity to be in chambers all the time with a judge like watching and getting like the full view of what goes into a trial and like what goes into their decision making process. Um, and then like sitting through an entire trial with them and like sitting through the rest of their docket, like you may never get that chance. So at some point, I highly recommend trying that out. The second part to this comment is that you do not have to clerk. It is really like, it's more varied than I think we think it is. Like when you're in law school and sex professor 2L, everybody kind of starts talking about the same time. So it just kind of like pops up on our radar at the same time, but not everybody clerks. Like people just go straight into working. They'll take years off to do other things. Like there's so many options. And if you're interested in clerking, like definitely pursue it because I think it is a really good opportunity, but I just want to confirm with everybody out there and remind myself, like, you don't have to. So I think it's good to kind of, like, sit with yourself and interrogate what your motivation is and what that motivation can do for you and if it's leading you in the right direction because um, it's good to just keep perspective, I think. I'm like, why am I doing this? Is it because that's what I'm I'm being pushed to do? Who's pushing me? Like, whose voice in my head am I listening to? Like external factors or this like my own voice that's leading me to do this yeah i think it's good to keep perspective like that and then like you know consider like the actual material things which include a clerkship salary compared to a big law salary it's a lot less one of the benefits though is that you know once you clerk you get a bonus to go back to the firm so and at my firm or a lot of the firms like this too you start instead of a first year associate you start as a second year associate if you clerk um, with the judge and so like there are perks um and, you know there are also trade-offs like how do you manage to pay your loans with this like smaller salary um because you I, I talked to like some of the people in cdo the career development office um and financial aid and essentially if you clerk and you're going to a big law job afterwards you're not a part of the loan repayment program so you have to find a way to pay your loans off with this smaller you know check or salary um so yeah, there are like pros and cons and trade-offs, mm-hmm. uh, but I think it's, you know, like you said earlier, it's very prestigious, mm-hmm. but don't do it because of the prestige, do it because of your yeah. true interest. Something we talked about, like, oh, like, before we started recording too, is like this conversation about clerking, like amongst our peers and amongst like the community of lawyers, like different people have different motivations, right? So like you could want to do it because it really does help you develop as a lawyer, as like a legal researcher and writer and like you'll be thinking hopefully critically about a lot of the stuff that you're grappling with. Some people purely do it for the prestige because it looks good on your legal resume and it gives you like that boost if you're going somewhere else after. Um, People like tend to respect that you've done a clerkship, especially if it's a high level clerkship. And I think it's another thing that's just complicated. Like it's not wrong if prestige is what you're after, if you're using it for something that matters to you, you know? 
But if that is your sole motivation and you think you'd hate clerking otherwise, if you weren't going to get that um, prestige that comes with it, why are you doing it? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I think there's a lot of things that we're pushed to strive for that are essentially meaningless things, you know? Like just little hallmarks that we're supposed to collect along the way in law school to like prove that we're smart enough or good enough or more specifically better than our peers. That really, I think, is just damaging in the long run. So prestige doesn't have to be a negative altogether, but if that's your only motivation, why? That's what I would ask. That's the kind of things I ask myself when I'm like thinking about why do I want to do any of these things? Like, yeah. Yeah, and like, and when you pick your judge, make sure you ask yourself why this judge, because mm -hmm. like it, we, we just, last week, um, a woman came forward who was a clerk for Judge Reinhardt, who is now deceased, mm -hmm. the Ninth Circuit Court, um, and she clerked for him. Um, her name is Olivia Warren, and he essentially um, sexually harassed her during her clerkship. And so we do have these judges who are in these lifetime appointments, you know, as we discussed when we weren't recording. Um, and it's really hard to hold them accountable because of the way procedurally that the Constitution has, like, subscribe to them this essential like lifetime tenure mm -hmm. and so when you choose a judge make sure you have vetted the judge just like they have vetted you mm -hmm. um, and you know know their decisions kind of know them as people because you'll work long hours with them and you'll work, you'll work long hours with your clerks mm -hmm. other clerks your co-clerks um, and so yeah so make sure like you said just make wise and informed decisions and don't rush it yeah, yeah. I think that's really good advice um, yeah, I think we do have this kind of like deference we give to judges, and this is another thing you're taught to do in law school, just think that these are these all-knowing figures that are just so much better than the average lawyer, yeah. but it's also to a certain extent kind of arbitrary, like if this is a judge that's appointed by a president or as appointed by the governor, you know, that's there it. is just like, you know, yeah. political similarities sometimes between them or like ideological similarities. That's why they ended up as a judge, not because they're just so, like, they're not like these great all-knowing beings that are like without failure, so objective and so pure, Yeah. you know, it's not like they just came into this bucket of wisdom that no other lawyer could ever gain and that's right. how they're a judge. Like, so it is important to think a lot about that. And we're still thinking about it too. Like we're not authorities on this topic. Yeah, we're just, just learning and kind of sharing what we're learning along the way. Considerations. Yeah. yeah. Just questions we've been grappling with and trying to unpack because it is hard to like figure it all out. You kind of like in law school, there's just things that are thrown at you suddenly like, oh, it's finals of your, you know, what was it? Second semester of 1L and or first semester actually like now it's time to think about all these jobs you should be considering because it's expected that you get a job right. and like you're in 2L and they're like so what's your life plan what are you going to do a year from now welcome to OCI and the fall interview program in our school which is for public interest um, job opportunities and it's just like you just stumble into these things and these conversations that are very confusing and I think can tend to be exclusionary because there's 3,000 different acronyms that you learn. Yeah. Some people know them before they get to school. Yeah. Some people had to Google what a clerkship was yep. and then re-Google it every time it came up because right. we couldn't keep it on our radar with the amount of other stuff we're doing. So we just want to kind of like bring you guys into our conversations that we're having about what does this stuff all mean? Like, 
what can it do for my future? Like, why do we want it? Um, and hopefully that helps you when you're figuring it out. Or if you're lost in it right now, you just know you're not alone in the confusion. And we're thinking about a lot of the same things you are. Alright, so that was um, this episode. We're gonna wrap it up really quickly. We just wanna first, once again, reiterate our apology to you guys. We have a tremendously loyal fan base, um, and we are, we are going to recommit ourselves to producing great content for you guys. Um, and so, follow us on our Instagram at blacklisted.thepodcast, B L A C K L I S T E D dot the podcast on Instagram um, and DM us your thoughts your opinions mm-hmm. on what we say critique us if you want to I'm open to critique mm-hmm. we're open to critique um, but just look out for more content um, we're going to be posting flyers mm-hmm. around the school um, and hopefully just opening up this conversation to more people mm-hmm. yeah. yeah you can critique us but be constructive because I'm really not trying to be attacked on yeah. <laughs> Instagram comments. Yeah. But we trust you guys. You guys have been very thoughtful in like how you've engaged with us so far. We really appreciate that and like hearing from you and like when we ask on Instagram like what type of things you want to hear, or, like what your experience has been. That's always been really interesting for us to look at. We wanted to end the podcast today by saying Happy Black History Month. It's yes. Still currently February. Um. We've been reflecting on black excellence this month. Hopefully you have too. (laughs) I'm sure they have. Anyway, we want to give a shout out to our friend Bakari, who is also a 2L at Berkeley Law. He's just an all around great guy. And I feel so proud to know him and to work with him. I want to give him a shout out specifically because he organized a food drive for um, the black law students to participate in and got some of the like other people in the school involved as well. And um, he got a certificate back today from the Alameda County Food Bank for over 140 pounds, I think, of food that was donated. So he did such a great job um, on top of everything else he does. So I want to say thank you so much, Bakari. You're awesome and keep doing great work. Um, And we wanted to end it on a quote that he used in his um, promotional materials for this, which was really great. Um, It's from Martin Luther King Jr says, I have the audacity to believe that peoples everywhere can have three meals a day for their bodies, education and culture for their minds, and dignity, equality, and freedom for their spirits.